Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, um, we're, we're going to have a lot of good things to say in this podcast, I think. If people have listened to us or this podcast, they are probably accustomed or expecting something negative. So for a change, let's start out with something negative. Do you have anything negative to say? Do you have a low light to point out about a 41 to 28 win on the road in Big 12 play? I'm unsure about what's going on in the secondary. Did my stock up, stock down? I'm like, you get three picks, but I'm not sure about all three of them. But they're in the right spot, so okay. Um, still concerned about depth back there, linebacker safety. But other than that, that's about it. It's a short list, right? Yeah, very short. Like I mean, I, it's there's just anything you're saying today is a little bit nitpicky or a little bit, you know, maybe not entirely sure. Like a, the hook and ladder play. Like I was like, wow, running that with a backup quarterback, throwing to a wide receiver who hasn't been targeted, who's pitching to a running back who hasn't been on the field yet. But it was at the right spot. They're expecting you not to do much with your run at your quarterback coming in. And you had the stoppage in play to talk it out with them. So there's a little bit of, hey, you could at least discuss it kind of thing and not some this is so blatantly terrible kind of situation. It, it's a sneak play. Like that's I I it's goofy. You laugh at it and you point out and go, here they go again. But it's that's a good spot for something like that, too. Um, I guess Cole Taylor and perhaps also Traylon Davis hold on a penalty, not a touchdown run. That's a penalty that keeps points 44 and, and ultimately 45 off the board. That would have been the most against an FBS team under Brown. Um, thought the tight ends played okay. And then a lot when you consider that West Virginia played without its right tackle for much of the game and had to move. Nick Malone to right tackle. He's like their extra blocking tight end. He plays a lot, and they couldn't use him the way they wanted to. They still ran the ball like crazy. Uh, the second highest rushing yardage total against an FBS team under Brown. So is that a negative? Uh, a holding penalty that keeps you from scoring 45? Who cares when you score 41 and you win comfortably? Um, Devin Carter, kind of a bizarre game with, with some drops and just a a really weird, a weird play in a punt where like he jogged off the field after a drop and then jogged back on the field, even though he's never covered a punt before. And there were already 11 guys in the field and they call a timeout, but like it didn't hurt. So what are we talking about there? And and here's my point, Chris. West Virginia really and truly hasn't played terrible football in its losses and it's had short lists. I don't think people really want to admit that or give that much time. But the margins have been so small that those small lists have been costly. Today, they keep the list small, which is somewhat customary, maybe maybe shorter than usual, but still not a long list of errors, as, as maybe you've expected in the past. So they continually step in the rake. But they took care of so much else that they should have and could have and really needed to take care of that mistakes were not costly. And here we are just kind of brushing them aside because they have a very good win on the road. Despite circumstances, despite doubts, despite momentum, despite injuries, just despite, despite, despite. And now we shift to the good stuff, which is that, uh-oh, they've got a good offense. It's getting better and better in front of us. And then, sure, UCF had a bad defense. You're supposed to do that to a bad defense. And look at their schedule. They're not playing um, knockout punchers. 
the rest of the way. They have one very good team left, and you tell me, Chris, where can they be in two weeks when they go on the road against an Oklahoma team that, I'm I'm not saying it's mortal, but it's come back to earth a lot. It does not look like the vintage Lincoln-Riley teams that would just boat race defenses like West Virginia. Um, I, I don't know why you would think that West Virginia can't get in the ring in two weeks and, and be formidable. Yeah, I mean, with this offense, if you're capable of doing this with this offense, which the, we're now on three straight weeks of a winning offense, a, would you say top 25 offense? No. For the last three weeks. Okay, we're not going that far yet? Not yet. Well, offense? Offense. Offense only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Depends. Like, what where, where do you go by in this? That's interesting. Like, productivity, efficiency, points, just wins? How do you how do you rate that? Because I think you can I'm, go in different directions. Not very efficient, but today, they scored darn every time they had the ball. That's very efficient. Yeah, I'm saying, like, with this team, that like, this is a an offense that if you had this offense, you could be a top 25 team. Fair. The problem is they haven't had the defense the last three weeks. Today, we'll talk about it in a minute, but Houston and Oklahoma State, the defense wasn't there, and that's why they're not a top 25 team. Uh, here's a team that was due some breaks, and I just want to point this out. There is a bunch of weird bounces and moments and 50-50 things that absolutely went West Virginia's way. Credit West Virginia for making a lot of that happen. The team that kind of just gets caught in dramas in the fourth quarter faces an onside kick late in the game. UCF is offsides in the kickoff. The guy who is offsides kicks the ball too early because he's offsides because he's he gets illegal touching because he's too far down the field too soon. And then who knows? That ball takes the bounce that ultimately gets his heels. Maybe it finds UCF player. Who knows? Projecting a lot there. Point is, UCF did something bad. West Virginia got a break. But that was that kind of day for West Virginia when it came to kickball interceptions, which you don't see all the time. Tip balls, sure. Kickballs, no. Um, receivers falling down because Beanie Bishop is just too tough. Um, an offensive lineman recovering a fumble that actually gains you yardage on and on and on. Uh, WVU did a lot of really good things, but WVU got a lot of good luck, which if you look at the football gods, they probably were kind of uh, blushing a little bit the past few games. And you know what? We probably owe them a solid. Yeah, this plays, and I talked about it with the secondary on my stock up, stock down. It's like, how do you, how do you assess this? How do you look at this? Cause was it Plumlee was 16 of 19 with those three interceptions. And those three interceptions, one was probably should have been caught and then got kicked up in the air, and Bishop got it. The other to Bishop, uh, like you noted, was the the receiver falling down with some some aggressive um, defense from Bishop. And then the third was quite literally, like, I mean, we're talking the worst throw I have seen all season. And this is a WVU team that played against a pick quarterback who the secondary laughed at and was eventually moved to tight end. And that interception, the second one, I think it was right. That Floyd got was the worst throw I think I've ever seen. So I was like, wait, how much credit do you give the secondary? But it won catch and breaks like you noted, but they're in the right position. They're where they're supposed to be. They were in position on some of these plays that quite simply like UCF just made better plays in it. Like the receiver just, Beat, beat them in one-on-one, but they were in the right position, which in the past, past few weeks, past couple weeks especially, but looking going back further into last season, this secondary was either not in position like they were today, or they just dropped it even if they were in position. So today, I mean, they deserve credit for being in position and doing their jobs. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of doubt about this defense, especially when the shorthanded nature takes the field today. But, you know, it was it was curious. I think UCF was seven for eight on third down through three quarters. And then the one time they did not convert on third down, they converted on fourth down. So pretty much eight for eight on drive extenders or drive killers. But they kept getting off the field on turnovers. And then WVU gets a punt and forces a turnover in the fourth quarter, which has gone haywire for the defense in the past few games. And then I think just I think they played seven snaps in the first two drives, and by that time the lead had grown to what uh, it was forty-one twenty-one, a twenty-point lead at that point. It was seventeen nothing in the fourth quarter, and that was enough. That was that was plenty enough. Uh, Plumley answered our question, did he not? We were not sure if he was what's the word good, um, a little snake bit for sure, but he also got I don't know if conservative is the right word. He was not himself. I also really enjoyed the play-by-play crew saying, like, you know, he's throwing a perfect game, if not for the three home runs he gave up, because interceptions do count. That fumble definitely does count. They were really trying hard to make him seem perfect where he was far from that today, too. But um, they really earned what they did, like the the touchdown pass to Kobe Hudson. It's a good ball and a good play by the receiver. Um, the the other, I mean, every touchdown they caught was, like, acrobatic and, and took some effort to do. We've seen defenders chasing West Virginia players chasing opponents into the end zone or leaving people wide open. Um, everything took some time. We're talking 75-yard drives that took you know, nine, ten, eight plays. West Virginia's defense made it difficult there and, and really just kind of set the table for an offense that does seem good. And, and three weeks in a row now, and you're just thinking like, man, people do complain about the offense isn't very good or very fun to watch, one more important than the other. That's up to you, depending on how you keep the keep score of things here. But is good and does seem fun to watch, which leads us to this, Chris. You and I posted a three-minute video during the week of what could be added because they have a habit of adding things to the offense that are good. So what could be added that would be effective, exciting? A difference between a loss and a win. We saw some fun stuff today, too. Continuations, but also some additions. What stood out to you? Was something new or something impressive? The use of bootlegs and rollouts and and leaving the options for green. I mean, they used them at the goal line. They used them in fourth and uh, fourth and two and a couple other short situations. But like, it it doesn't seem like rocket science. And I'm not saying they didn't figure this out already. Like they, they, they knew this, they got to implement it um, throughout the season. But when you have a running quarterback, Typically, when you have a quarterback, you know, he's just dropping back to throw it. And that gives the advantage, the numbers advantage to the defense because they have 11 guys defending, you know, a handful of people. And this way, when you roll that quarterback out, he's a threat too. you're evening the playing field and maybe even putting it back into the offense's favor. And like that one, I think it was the third, it might have been the third touchdown run by Green at the goal line. And he rolled out and there were, I think there were three defenders. And then there were two receivers, or one, you know, one was Donaldson, the running back, and one was, I think, Taylor, Cole Taylor, the tight end. And they had three defenders. So it was the two receivers and Green. And you're kind of making like, hey, you have to make a decision. You have to get, you know, you have to defend the pass, or you have to defend the run, you have to try to do both, or you're setting up one on ones. And they kind of had two guys float with Donaldson and Green sprinted into the end zone. And you put them in those tough situations with that kind of quarterback. That's what should happen, and it, it looked great today. It looked really great. Yeah, it's kind of like modern option football, where where option is not necessarily like wishbone or navy or an armed forces team or something like that. But when you you have options, it run, hand it off, pass it, whatever. 
And we, we've just seen this. You make plays with Green. He just does that. So after a while, you're like, okay, this guy does something. And and how do we put him in that spot where he can stress the defense? And, and, and again, the key to football in a lot of these situations is can you put the defenders in conflict? And the player talking about is perfect. You had to chase Traylon Davis. You had to trace Cole Taylor. All of a sudden, there's a huge gap because the linebackers and the safeties have to vacate and create a wide open space that Green is just not going to ignore. And then he runs over a guy on the goal line, too. Easy. The bootlegs are great. They're fun to watch. That was very noticeable, too, is that all of a sudden, here's the guy that, what's he like in the pocket? Don't know. What's he like outside? I do know. He's dangerous. And everybody else knows he's dangerous. So you stretch the field sideways. But you're buying time. You're letting everybody look at him because he's moving. What do you do? You follow the ball in football. Defenders do that. And if the ball is moving one way, you're going to have your eyes there. And here comes somebody underneath you. Here comes somebody who's going the other way. Here comes someone who's going deep. That's very effective. And they've added that now. It seems like that's pretty good. Um, my answer to your question, Chris, was like two back stuff. We'll get to the running game in a minute. I have to actually amend something I said earlier. Now that I look at my notes here. But they did not run two back sets where they did like 21 personnel, 20 personnel. But man, if the way that they use Gallagher and sometimes I guess Horton to a little bit, it, it was almost like they were motioning and positioning a second running back in the backfield. And then, as we talked about on the preview podcast, you see that kind of like a shell game, where you're moving all the you're moving the cups over the shells, and you don't know which one the ball is underneath. You put that running back in motion. Excuse me, you put that receiver in motion in the backfield, crossing the backfield. There's jet action, but you got to follow him. It just seemed like they were they were kind of they were kind of like fuzzily using two back sets without two running backs. There were some, I think there were a couple of snaps. They actually did have two backs, but like one time Donaldson was outside as a receiver and caught a screen pass. But in an ordinary sense, one running back and then bringing that receiver in motion where, you know, we saw Horton and definitely Gallagher get involved in handoffs and short pop stuff too, in the running game, passing game. Is that effective? Was that effective? Does that make sense that it's not two backs, but it does seem like it accomplishes some of the similar ideas where it's creating space and creating gaps for somebody to get the ball and do something with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right about Gallagher. It seems like they that was something they wanted to do with him. They were like, we're going to get him the ball and try to get him get him the ball while he's moving and try to get him to go out to space. And um, it worked. I mean, it, it wasn't anything crazy, but he, he was able to get some yardage. But and, and part of what makes it work, when I say it works, it's not necessarily, what did he have, three carries for 15 yards? Like, okay, solid, it's fine. Not, not. Once you do that a couple of times, all of a sudden, every time he goes across the uh, formation, the secondary is thinking about him. The linebacker's hesitating just a little bit. The safety's creeping up just a little bit more, and that's what helps explode for somebody else. So I think it worked. That movement worked. Those options worked. And, yeah, I mean, think everything's kick, clicking on the offense right now. Uh, I think even with some guys going down um, on the offensive line, they did fine, I thought. Other than the one missed block on the green fumble, sack and fumble, mm-hmm. um, that was on Malone. Like, I didn't think anything negative about the offensive line today. I thought they did a nice job opening up holes. I thought they did a nice job pass blocking, run blocking, everything. So, um, offense is clicking right now. Malone's played too well in, in pinch hitting opportunities to be too negative about that too. And then for that to happen, but then Remach saves him. Um, I think a little bit later he recovers the fumble too. So that that does help. Um, 286 yards rushing. That is actually the most against an FBS team. I had the wrong Kansas game um, in my notes here. So that is the most against an FBS team under Brown. 
<laughs> they scored all these points without a passing touchdown. Green, 14 of 23, 156 yards. That's about his game. He's going to hit you right around 60, 65%. Um, he might get you huge yards per attempt or completion. Um, about his game today, but the running game. Um, 50 carries, that counts three knees. So 47 carries, 291 yards when you take away the knees for five touchdowns. Donaldson, 121. Jaheim White, who I guess can practice now, 85. Garrett Green, 55. Gallagher, 15. Johnson, 15. Did not see Dylan Anderson from the ball. Um, they were just very good at creating gaps today. And not like gap schemes, but they were just really good at creating space. Stretching teams out, um, that that fake the toss and then dart with your quarterback, using the motion, they were just very good at that against a team that is extremely forgiving. Um, all's well in the running game there, too. Just There's just not a whole lot bad to say about what they did. Extremely effective in you know, seven touchdowns and eight red zone possessions, the exception being when they take Anita in the game. So really seven for seven. They end up almost plus 13 in time of possession. That's good. Just not, nothing bad you can say, but to your point, Chris, um, that you made this week, they were really opportune. It's one thing to get the scores in the red zone, five touchdowns, two field goals, four turnovers, 21 points. They had seven turnovers for 24 points in the first six games. And you can expand on this. When they had the lead, they played really, really well. They they scored even, they scored up three, they scored up seven, and then eventually the lead grew to be 20 points. They had not done that. That's why the teams kept coming back or they kept coming back to teams. Totally different today. Did you see a behavioral difference, a shift? Any proof that somebody in the push guard center saw your tweet about the way they call plays or play football in a lead or at a deficit? Does proof include somebody sending me a message telling me to do something terrible to myself? <laughs> Does that count? Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, it, it felt more aggressive. And again, sometimes this is what do your eyes see What and what actually happened? Because does it feel like they were more aggressive because the results were better? Maybe they were running the same plays they always do when they're up three or seven and, and just had better results because they blocked better, they ran better, they threw better. Um, but it looked to me like they were, it wasn't like they were like launching 50-yard bombs, but yeah. they weren't just turning around and hanging it off. It was selectively aggressive, moderately, what, for you financial advisor people out there, moderately aggressive portfolio uh, on that offensive playlist right there. So I, I thought it was great. And yeah, with the, the stats that I posted up uh, last week about WVU's offense when they're behind and when they're ahead, it was drastically different in FBS games. Today, all ahead, all tied, because it was, what, 51 minutes uh, leading, nine minutes tied, and that was it. Never fell behind. And the whole time, it felt like they were moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And and I think that's what people have been calling for. And the results are there. Trust in, trust in this offense. Trust that they can get it done. Stat of the year. You ready? Go. Jalen Anderson. No receptions. No targets. 10 yards receiving. Yep. How about that? I can't wait to show my son this thing because he was just asking me about this the other day. I think, you know, he's got Travis Kelsey on his fantasy team and he basically did the same thing just the other night in the game. I was like, how does that work? I was like, well, technically the second guy running, it doesn't get any credit for a catch, but he gets the yardage. So can't wait to show him this. I might have kids just so they have kids and I can bounce my grandkid on my knee to talk about the day that Jalen Anderson had 10 yards receiving and then no catches. Seems ambitious. Speaking of, 
Neil Brown. Mm-hmm. Seems like he's got something going on offense here. Um, several people have seen this. There's a update on our VIP board just about the temperature of the water, the seat, whatever you want to call it, that he swims in, that he sits on. And the word is just neutral. The program is just kind of neutral right now. Like, we'll see what happens, which seems pretty fair. It would be hard to act on anything in the middle of the season here. But also the the, the reality is that the schedule towards this back end is pretty forgiving and very optimistic, especially look at how much they're improving on offense. And then some of the defenses and teams that they're playing, there is a chance to clean up on wins. Does it make sense to not project an outcome with so much left to play? I know people want answers now, but this looks totally different than it did in non-conference play. It looks a lot better, and their offense is getting better. They they figured some things out, and, and people in particular, and they wrap schemes around people again and again and again. It's Cole Taylor, it's Devin Carter, it's now Garrett Green, as we talked about. It's probably going to keep improving. Um, teams will get wise to them. It might come back to earth a little bit. I'm not sure you're projecting 45 points every game, but you got to let it play out. And just at the end of this, if you if you if Brown could not prove himself positively or negatively at the end of these final five games. I don't know what else you would need to see. Like if he can't get the offense going, if the defense can't get untracked against some of these opponents, then you probably have an answer. But if he does, the offense clicks, improves, the defense gets his act together, which may be really difficult. We can get into that too. But I, I just don't know what you would left what you would be left with that you do not know after these five games. Does it just it just seems like now more than ever it just makes sense that like let's see where this goes. People don't like that, I get it, but it feels totally different today than it did last night, don't you think? Maybe not totally different, but I think a lot of people are watching this game with their hand over their eyes and peeking through, worried about the offense we, we of, of UCF. We might have uh, contributed to that, it sounds like. But the defense did okay, and the offense was great. I think, the, I hate to say it, but like the win, and actually this was a pretty definitive win. Again, they were at 41-21, so you're not going to get the two-touchdown win because of the late cheap one from UCF. Extremely but, sieve defense late, too. Yeah, but you just say – Hey, you know, I think people, it, it kind of depends on your perspective. Cause I don't, I think if, if they had lost this game, that might've sent things in a very, very, very negative direction. Yeah, and deservedly so, right? Right. Yeah. Cause that's three in a row. That's against, that's the first, you know, big 12 win for UCF and so on and so forth. So that could have sent things bad. Them winning. It's like, okay, all right, good. Everything's still kind of the same. Neutral, I think, is the approach. Just like you said, neutral. It's staying the same. It's still wait and see. I think you're kind of looking at this next three. Like it's it's going to be very tough if you go into saying, "Hey, this trip to Baylor after Thanksgiving for the season finale is the one that's going to help me decide." Because I think you're going to have a decision if you're Ren Baker, not not you or I or anybody else, but if you're Ren Baker. After the Cincinnati game, one way or another, not because of Cincinnati specifically, but because of it's going to give you your view of the season. I think that's enough of an overview of the season. Obviously, 11 out of the 12 games, that's enough for you to make a choice, because I think if you're going to move on, then you need to go ahead and make it. If you haven't made up your mind by Baylor, whether to keep or go, that's a problem. Um but I think 11 of 12 games is enough to get a good overview of the season. And, you know, he went two or three, you beat BYU, you lose out Oklahoma, you beat Cincinnati, be seven and four and heading off to play, you know, a questionable Baylor team at the end of the season. Hmm. 
Okay. No, not, not, I mean, I'm not forecasting, you know, you're not, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not saying anything, but I'm with you in that this win while good because the offense looked good defense, a little meh to begin with, but clamped down late for some turnovers. Special teams were solid. It's like, okay, that's good. You like to see that on the road, go out and just for the first time in a long time against an FBS opponent, they just went out and beat the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not something you're seeing. So I think you look at this and you say, this is a good thing. Yeah, but also stick with it. See where it goes, too. Yeah, do it again. Do it again. Do it next week. Let's talk, let's talk about the defense here. Um, pre-game headlines are, in addition to the pre-existing injuries, no Hershey McLaurin, no Lance Dixon. I think it's probably safe to assume that his days are probably done with West Virginia, but suspended last week, did not travel this week. Uh, no Andrew Wilson lamp. So special teams and corner are depleted further. No Jairo Fabris, which means no backup will really. They play Marcus Floyd at Spear. When they have to go to a reserve safety, Chris, they put Malachi Ruffin at safety and they bring Jacoby Spells onto the field. The one drive that they looked vulnerable and bad. They just took their medicine. Like they, they just, they understood this is not going to be easy. It might not be good, but we have to do this to buy our starters time now so they can be fresh in the third, maybe fourth quarter. And they played Caden Beiser. They played Raleigh Collins. They played Ruffin at safety, who actually played pretty well. And they played spells a corner who I think closed off a couple of pass plays outside. So he didn't even get targeted, but he covered well. But Beiser, Collins were, I think it's fair to say that they were involved. How's that? But you didn't see that again. And you didn't really see UCF barnstorm down the field again it looked like that West Virginia's defense said you know what this is going to look bad but we have to do it we we have no other option right now too and apart from that the defense didn't seem inept which had been a concern before too a really good offense that you saw they can really stir you up a little bit with some of their speed in the backfield and some of their talent outside and when Plumlee's good he's good we're not sure if he's good but when he is good he's good but that one sequence it looked bad but you really never saw that again because you never saw that lineup again Like, uh, I'm going to make a Little League coaching connection here that's going to make some people want to throw their listening device out the window, possibly. No, no, I got a lot but, more left to say. <laughs> but it, I, I, I'm curious about that decision to put all of those players in at the same time because okay. I, I, you know, I, let's put it this way. When, when you have teams, obviously, you're going to have players that are not as good as others. And sometimes you're going to have multiple of them. I would go out of my way to make sure that, you know, say if there's not eight people on the field, you know, not counting the or nine, if you want to count the catcher too, that at least seven of them or eight of them are very good, that I'm not putting, you know, the complete liabilities, like three or four of them on the field at the same exact time. You know, you can't make that many. You can have a hole somewhere, but like, you know, I'm thinking baseball here, you, you they got to find that hole. But if you make four different spots a hole, it's a lot easier to find that hole. And on defense, if you're subbing out like to secondary or you know or second or third team guys who have played like what was it? I think it was Collins played three snaps last game, none mm. or defensive snaps, zero FBS defense snaps before that. Uh, Beiser had not played an FBS defensive snap this season. Uh, spells limited. You know, get, seeing his role increase a little bit more lately, I guess but still limited. 
Ruffin hasn't been a safety. So you're making all of these changes all at once. How about just one. How about, you know, on the second drive, you toss Beiser in there. On the fourth drive, you toss Collins in there. On the seventh drive, you, you know, and so on. That That's my thoughts there on that because I'm kind of with you and I understand why they had to do it because we've talked about the snaps and the guys playing 95, 97, 100% of the defensive snaps and they're just going to get worn down. They seem to play better in the third and fourth quarter today after they got just a, just a hint of rest right there. So get it. I understand it. Maybe just, you know, spread out those uh, backup snaps just a little bit. Yeah, but something different. Because if you keep doing the same thing and you keep getting the same results, I believe that defines a word, right? Forget what the word is. Maybe I'm insane. I'm not sure. But also something attempted. And I think one of those two is going to be important to everybody who was concerned about the defense. Do something different or try to do something different. And they did both, and it worked. Is that the reason? I don't know. I think UCF probably played a lot into that, too. But it worked, and it was bold. It was different. It was something that they tried, and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. But um, sometimes you just got to bite down and go and see if you can make it work, too. Um, I evoked the name of um, Oklahoma later on. I am very aware that West Virginia plays BYU next week. West Virginia is a bad matchup for BYU. Um, they 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 can't play offense, so that probably makes West Virginia feel a little bit better about their defense, and they will struggle in areas that West Virginia is pretty good on offense too. So uh, they can't run the ball. They don't get first downs. They don't get third down conversions. Um, they are really bad in total offense. I believe like entering today, they're one twenty. Where are my notes here? Uh, one twenty two in total offense. Um, they give up bass plays. It's it, they're just not a great matchup for West Virginia. So this could continue to rise and get better for the offense. And then I'm not putting all the eggs in the basket here, but that, when I'm looking ahead to Oklahoma, I'm just thinking if West Virginia is a team that is peaking or is maybe not as bad. How about this? Not as bad as a two game losing streak suggested. Um, Houston looks like they're pretty ordinary, and Oklahoma State people I talked to during the week were like that might be the third best team in the Big Twelve at the end. That team might actually get to Dallas. We'll see what happens, but maybe there's no shame in that. Just kind of lopsided and okay, that happens. If West Virginia is better than the head player or the record showed that it should get by BYU, and it should be feisty in a road game against Oklahoma. That's kind of why I'm getting there. Like I'm not looking past BYU. Certainly West Virginia isn't, but. I think we're at a point now where you can say if this offense is good enough, it's it's going to give BYU problems, especially in a home game where BYU is coming here a week after playing Texas. Sometimes you play the teams on the schedule. Sometimes you play the schedule. And if BYU has got to go to Texas and play today, um, good luck going back home, recovering, having to play West Virginia, who seems like they're playing with a bit of confidence here. Wrapping it up, Chris, here. Um, let's go over our preview podcast. Let's not critique ourselves because we are fans of UCF, which seemed to like bother people. What was your key to victory that we talked about at the end? Uh, field position pointed out how you know poorly uh, UCF does in special teams. Pointed out how uh, they don't often take the ball away either, and they weren't very good in third down defense. So there was an opportunity for West Virginia to stay on the field, and even if they didn't finish a drive with a score, at least kind of flip the field position battle. Those, that was my key, was field position, uh, and West Virginia must win it. No, oh, if I brought this up, you have to know why, right? Because I was wrong? No, God, no. UCF's average field position, it's own 23. And that's counts of oh. touchbacks, right? Yeah. So that's the 25. Um, West Virginia's, do you want to guess? Well, they got, the, well, one of those picks was like 
Little was it gonna no, he returned it pretty far. So I don't know. Around 40? 41. 41. There you go. Um, and and this is why it's important too. Average yards game per drive, both teams 42. 10 plus play drives, both teams two. Um, 70 plus yard drives. You see that they good early. Actually, three touchdown drives in a row for them, four 70 plus yard drives. But West Virginia only had to do it twice. It, it concerned you that West Virginia let a team have four 70 yard drives. If you're West Virginia, you like the fact that you only did it twice, but you only had to do it twice because you're starting at your own 41 on average. So I think you're right there. Uh, do you remember mine? No. Were you right too? Got to win the fourth quarter. Oh, yes. I do remember that conversation. And nice. I think they won the game before the fourth quarter, but yeah. but still, like, there was no nonsense. There was no drama, and it's just good to be normal. Like, it's funny because, like, college football does not reward normal. Like, you see highlights. You see offenses that do this and players who do that. You you award players for their superlative efforts. Teams are boosting their rankings because of their offense or a player who does this, and, like, it rewards the extraordinary. They had a normal day. Like, no nonsense out there. Like, the hook and lateral was like, what are you doing? But, like, so what? And, like, otherwise, it was workmanlike. Their drives are 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 short because of field position or quick because of, you know, the pace they play with. But still, like, even by their standards, not, like, sprinter speed. Like, they're just going nine plays, 75 yards, 10 plays, 64 yards. Just normal day. And when they got to the fourth quarter, they won 17-7. But that seven points at the end is just because they were playing prevent, being like, listen, Fine. Take, I think it was, what was there, 11 plays to go 80 yards and take 321 off the clock. They were fine with that. It wasn't going to cost them to. So I think we got one right there. Let's get one right as well. time. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Let's get one right as we wrap it up here. Um, A lot coming up here on the site. Normal stuff. Uh, a normal Sunday for us, too. Ours are always normal, though. I will at some point have three things. I think three things I know. We'll look at snap counts, which will be really interesting to see how West Virginia did here. Um, that 70 man travel roster is bizarre. They don't have a holder today, Chris. So they had to bring three punters. Uh, one of their extra punters actually ended up being the holder. So the snap counts would be very interesting to see what they did in offense and defense special teams. And then you've got your, uh, normal roulette. What do you have for us tomorrow? Yep. Have the report card coming up, uh, with PFF grades, going to have the snap judgments, going to do a little bit of recruiting stuff. We are nearing, I'm not sure how eventful it'll be. But we are nearing the early signing period for basketball, which will start in 10 days, 11 days. Um, and starting to schedule some football official visits right before the signing period that starts in five or six weeks. So you're ready for some uh, exciting stuff coming up here soon with recruiting and everything like that. And yeah, report card updates on that. And hopefully, you know, nothing sneaky. Oh, wait. Uh, no, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to do my preview, but God, I, I kind of want to wait till there's a definitive answer on battle. Um, but I guess huh. I'm not going to get that choice because West Virginia is not going to get that choice. So before we go, um, I have a friend of mine who is staying with us this weekend. Her daughter goes to West Virginia. They did not watch the game with me. Chris Anderson, did anybody show up unexpectedly to watch a West Virginia sporting event that you were not aware they were going to be at today? <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about, Michael. Just curious. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.